listeners, Kathy Lawless, Life Story Curator. I'm all about capturing and curating career and life stories as a meaningful way to celebrate a milestone moment like a big old birthday, anniversary, retirement, or graduation. And I'm at my best when curating photo books that move your memories from the basement or your phone or your computer to the coffee table, giving you and your family and friends access to these treasured memories for years to come. I also love curating and capturing life and career stories through this podcast series, How Did I Get Here? It's a series of interviews designed for people just starting out in their careers, people in transition or possibly feeling stuck, and giving them access to the stories of people who have been there, done that, so that they might be inspired with some new ideas or maybe just comforted knowing they are not alone, that everybody starts somewhere and everybody goes through times of transition and times when they feel stuck. Today, I'm very excited to be interviewing Sarah Idisavri. Did I come close? You came close. I came close. Well, why don't you say it so our listeners know exactly how to pronounce your name? Idisavri. Okay, I didn't roll the R. I just, uh, anyway, well, well, welcome, Sarah. Uh, Even though I can't say your last name, I'm very excited to have you on the show today. So thank you for joining us. And Sarah is a marketing executive who is currently a free agent and looking for her next gig. So we're going to hear a little bit today about how did she get here to be a marketing executive and then also what she's looking for. Before we jump into today's interview, let's hear a word from our sponsor, Life Story Curator, a testimonial from one of their very happy clients. Oh my gosh, if you're considering hiring Kathy Lawless to do a book for you, you need to do it. My name is Ann DuPont and I'm Chair Emeritus of a nonprofit that's been based in Denver called The Leadership Investment. And after 20 plus years of being in business, we decided we had to celebrate and commemorate all of the great work we'd done and the impact we'd had in the Denver community. So we hired Kathy Lawless and Life Story Curator to help us do exactly that. And I've got to tell you, the result has been simply outstanding. And we went into it with a little bit of fear, thinking, is this going to be too much work? Can we really take this on? And Kathy just made it absolutely painless. She was fun. She was creative. She broke the work into bite-sized pieces that we could really take hold of and get done. And she just made it a lot of fun. We had a lot of laughter along the way. And... The feedback from the members of our organization, from the staff, the community, the volunteers, has simply been outstanding. It has really done quite a remarkable job of capturing the essence of everything we achieved over 20 years. So if you're thinking about doing something like this for your organization, for your career, for your family, I would highly recommend it and I would absolutely say that Kathy Lawless and Life Story Curator is the person for you. Tell us where you grew up, what part of the country or the world, and a little bit about your family dynamics in terms of birth order and how you think kind of both those things shaped you, you know, your birth order and where you grew up, uh, how that shaped you as an adult. Interesting, so I did grow up in San Juan, Puerto Rico. Um, so outside of the United States, but linked to the U.S., right? Uh, my first language is Spanish. So I am fluent in Spanish, fluent in English, and also I know a little bit of French. I did study some French in high school and, you know, travel the world. So, so, but 
fun, yeah. And um, how many siblings you asked? Um, I am the oldest of two daughters. And, uh, and how did that influence, you said, um, how I make decisions today or how I- Yeah, just how it influenced you as a person, you know, being the oldest growing up in San Juan, I mean, that had to kind of shape who you are. Absolutely. So um, as the oldest one, I got to do everything first. <laughs> I was the, very, the first experience for my parents for absolutely everything. So with me, it was like, oh my gosh, you know, how is it going to go? How is that first, you know, sport going to go? And, you know, I kind of set the expectations. So I, I was the one that set the, the example in the house and um, I tried everything. So I think that that um, took me further in life or where I am in life because um, I am not afraid of trying new stuff. And I know that um, it's going to be okay eventually. So, um, you know, I, I take risks. Um, I'm, I think, a, a bigger risk taker, uh, you know, in, in my household. Um, and I have done almost everything. I've always, you know, been offered things throughout my life. And I say, yeah, okay, I'll do that too. That sounds really interesting. So, um, you know, I'm not afraid of trying new things. Yeah. You know, I love that about you, firstborns and the oldest, because you don't have anyone in front of you. And so you do kind of grow up with that mindset of, well, what, what, what do I want to do? What can I do? Let's just do it. Right. Uh, I'm a middle, so I'm second born. And uh, I always had that one that I was looking at and I saw her, you know, try things and it either worked or it didn't. And then I would be like, oh, well then maybe I could try either one of those things. So interesting, but I love that about you firstborn. So many of you are uh, high risk takers and leaders. So awesome. So what did you do for fun as a young person? Were you into, you mentioned sports, uh, sports, music, theater, reading, school. What, what was it really your jam? Interesting. I, I, um, I love to dance. So I am a dancer and I love to work out as I grew up. Um, so um, I danced ballet growing up. And I like the performance aspect of it. I also did a little bit of um, speech um, when I was growing up in high school. Um, so, so yeah, that's what I did growing up. Huh. So both of those performances uh, probably require to put you out there in front of people. So again, back to that risk taker. Well, let's uh, kind of go down that path then. Um, are you an introvert or an extrovert or an ambivert? I think I am both. I think it depends on, on the people around me, the occasion and the opportunity. <laughs> so it just depends, I have to say. If I take the test, I think when taking all of these personality tests, I've come out to be much more of an extrovert. Um, but then recently, as I have matured, I have, going, I have been going more to the middle. So. Yeah, more to the middle. And it's funny. I'm, again, I mentioned I was a middle child. I tend to come out in the middle on a lot of the tests. It's very funny. And I did come out in the middle on the introvert extrovert. Uh, my older sister is way on the left of extrovert. She's uh, capital E uh, on the extrovert side. So um, very interesting. And then again, as a middle being more of that observer, I always saw that and went, oh, well, you know, well, if she's that, then I'm not that, right? Uh, so I was kind of more the opposite. So how is your sister to you? Is she very different than you? She's more introverted. More introverted than you. Yeah. 
Okay. Let's see. On the uh, fun meter, on a scale of one to five, one being couch potato and five being life of the party, where do you put yourself? Uh, uh, Mark, I'm definitely not a couch potato. I barely watch TV. I love to be outside. I love to be with people. So, so definitely, and I love parties. So definitely <laughs> much more of a fun and adventure seeker. Uh, when my life feels down, it's because I'm down on adventure that I'm not getting the adventure I want. So I go out and, you know, go for a hike, go for, you know, driving something new. <laughs> you never know. And uh, just experiencing something out of the ordinary. I like to do that. Yeah. So I'm guessing COVID and all of the quarantining and, and social distancing has been kind of hard for you. Um, well, you know, because I live near Fort Collins, we're less populated than probably Denver where you are. So we've been outside, we've been outside a lot because it's not as, as populated here. And, you know, we've taken advantage of being outside. Yeah. Well, it sounds like you're a hiker as well. And you said get in the car and all those things were things we could do <laughs> during COVID, right? So I know those are the things I was doing, walking, hiking, driving. So, okay, on the risk meter, on a scale of one to five, one being a low risk taker and five being high risk taker, where do you put yourself? And I know you've already kind of touched on this a little bit. I'm guessing you're going to be on the side of the five or maybe higher. <laughs> I, I, I think I am um, a risk taker because I've taken the opportunities as it's come. Um, yes, yes. And, and both my husband and I, you need to, to make things happen when you're married, right? So... Um, yeah, I think we're both um, embracing of opportunities that may come and we evaluate them and figure them out and move forward. Yep. We like, we like new things. We like new, new things. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Well, I love those uh, icebreaker questions because it really gives us some insight into you as we get to hear your story and kind of how you've navigated through your career. So let's talk a little bit about what it's like to be a marketing executive, what you like about it, what you're looking for, and then we'll get into the, how did I get here? Okay. So, so in terms of who I am, I have 22 years of um, executive leadership in big brands. Um, so I started off at Procter & Gamble, um, you know, after my, my business school and let big brands there, brands like Crest, Olay, you know, um, Oral-B um, brands that are big. I also did other things and smaller brands as well in my career. So that's what it means to be a, you know, brand marketing executive. It's not only marketing, it's all aspects of a management of a product. Um, it's the PNL. It is how do I get new innovation out there? What is the right new innovation? How do I win with my target consumer? And how do I remain relevant to my target consumer? And um, also, what are all the financial aspects of keeping up with my manufacturing or my you know, pipeline of innovation? And how do I make those, those decisions along the way? So, and also managing a team of people, right? And managing all agencies and, 
and the contractors and all of that um, all together. So it is just more than just marketing. Yeah. So I call myself a, you know, marketing executive, but it is deeper than that. It's, it's, the, um, it's all about brand and managing brands is my expertise. So um, in terms of what am I looking for right now? So my in my last role, I was a vice president of brands for a private label company, and I was able to take um, seven brands that they had just acquired, reorganize them, reposition them, write concepts, pipeline of products for them with a team that I hired and developed, um, and as well as um, set their e-commerce operations, restructure their PL and also develop the right content strategies for their e-commerce brands. Um, so all of that is what I, I, I enjoy doing. And um, moving forward, I would love to do that for a bigger, for bigger brands. And also, I am also considering a second path that just came along recently, and it's probably joining uh, a big consulting practice. and and really consulting with a variety of clients that may need help in answering big questions like, how do I immunitize my product offering? Or, you know, how do I position my product to better talk to my target consumers? So, so all of those things I am excited about and interested in. Yeah, well, I'm so glad you shared more details about what a marketing executive does and that you went down the, the description about the product side and the research and the management of it and the, you know, the relevancy and the leadership of it, because, you know, we, we do tend to think of marketing as always being that external thing, right? Which is just the, the, you know, the splashy commercials or media and, and. There's a sliver of what marketing yeah, is. Yeah. And by the way, there are um, people that dedicate themselves only to that piece. Uh, and that is that is great, but I am much more of the brand management expert. Yeah, brand management, the product. Thank you. Well, I'm glad you explained that then. So, well, and I think that helps people too who are listeners if they're thinking about you know different careers or if they're in transition. You go, wait a minute, I've done quite a bit of you know parts of that, maybe not the whole thing, but you know which parts do uh, fit together there, and how might they then you know talk about their transferable skills in that way and use that language. So awesome. Well, Sarah, I mean, when you were a young person, junior high, high school, did you think, oh, I want to be managing brands and products and, and get into marketing? Uh, well, or is that what you wanted to be when you grew up? Kind of take us back to that point. I never said that when I was in high school. <laughs> I never imagined that I would have the journey that I've had in my career, uh, which has been a blessed one. Um, and yeah, I... I never thought, I thought it would be uh, something like archaeology or, uh, yeah, business, but um, I thought of being like my dad is, you know, a CPA or, you know, um, something that I knew somebody that was doing it, but not really, I didn't know anyone in brand management, so I never thought of it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, and if, yeah, if you've never seen someone do it, it's really hard to imagine that those jobs even exist or what those jobs are. Right. And then people maybe have not told you, Hey, you would be good at X. You know, like I, I look at my nephew and I look at, well, you know what? I think he would be a really good teacher. He's really good explaining things. And, and I see him, you know, with young, younger kids and he's good at like help teaching and training them. 
And then I see him and, you know, just as a, his aunt, as we're playing new games and stuff, how he explains things and, you know, lays stuff out. So I look at that and go, oh, you know, so sometimes that's the data you need, right? Is a, an outside influencer making a suggestion, well, maybe you should be X or maybe you should think about Y. So what did you then, uh, you're in high school. How did, did you go to college? What did you decide you wanted to major in? So um, in college, I was majoring in business, just general business and accounting. Yep, so I came out of college as an accountant um, because I thought that was what I wanted to do. Like what my, my dad did that. So I, he, he was pretty happy and he would tell stories about it. So I thought, hey, you know, that seems like something I could do as well. And I was really good in math. And somebody told me sometime, you know, if you're really good in math, you should do accounting. <laughs> I was like, okay. Okay. Again, Dad, see that outside influence then said, hey, maybe you should try this. There and, um, and role models, right? If you're, you know, around a family who are lawyers, you're very likely to also be a lawyer. Like, yeah, like my sister, there's lawyers in my family and my sister ended up being a lawyer as well. So. Oh, okay. Yeah. It is interesting how you kind of look at your small circle to decide maybe what you're end goal might be so so even though you were in business school um did there wasn't a marketing class that maybe you went oh that's really interesting or absolutely so I took interestingly I took I like to learn so I took a class in marketing I took some marketing research I also took a journalism class and it showed me how to see things from different points of views and how they frame a story and etc. So that was very interesting. And it, it talked up my heart early on, but I did end up, you know, doing the accounting at the beginning of my career. Yes. Ah, okay. So you graduate, get that accounting degree and then moved into, into accounting. So tell us about that. Did you, I mean, did you like it or did you go, oh, this, this is not me? <laughs> so it was super interesting. I, I actually, my goal was to work with a big six accounting firm when I graduated. So I, what I did, I interviewed with all the big six. I only did that. <laughs> and I got a job with three of them. And then I decided that I liked the people better at EY, Ernst Young. So um, I went with Ernst Young when I graduated and uh, I became an auditor initially. So. That was a really fun thing to do, actually, at the beginning, um, because I learned how to decompose financial statements and to really understand the business model of my very different clients. You know, I had banks, I had hotels, I had, you know, all kinds of different um, types of businesses. So I really was curious and learning how to how to really understand how they make money, right? The other thing that I learned was to ask questions because these auditors need to know, you know, how to ask questions to get to the explanations in the financial statements and to really understand materiality when, when you're talking about financial statements, what is material, what is not, and when do we need an opinion that has to dive deeper into an aspect or an issue of the business. So that was extremely helpful for me asking, trying to ask always the right questions and see how people manage their business and which and with what risk, right? 
was a business manager and if I needed to disclose any risk to my to my audience, right? When you publish a financial statement, that's what you do. So, so that was super interesting. And I think that skill helped me later. Absolutely. Wow. Yeah. Cause you're learning from, like you said, the, um, the financial aspect of it and then peeling it apart and finding all the drivers that drive the financials and the risks totally get that. I, I did a stint uh, when I was doing some consulting in an auditing group and I was really got to appreciate the auditors and number one, how smart they were to be able to kind of look at things and then, you know, peel them apart. Right. And go backwards and really understand what, uh, what the, like you said, what was really material uh, and maybe some of the risk elements, but yeah, you do learn it so well from an accounting perspective and audit perspective, uh, you really understand business. It's very cool. So you had great, great foundational uh, experience. So how long were you in that uh, auditor role? So uh, with EY, I spent two years. And what I noticed was that it was interesting going back to the same clients. Then once you go through them once, you understand them. You learn a lot the first time, actually. And then the second time, it's much more like, okay, I've already done this. And I did it really fast. <laughs> you know, then, you know, I didn't let it be a third time. So I <laughs> And, um, and then I went with one of their clients, um, American Airlines. I have always been curious. So um, I wanted to, well, see the world. And I was really curious about the airline industry. Um, so I had some friends that had done the same. They had gone from EY to American Airlines. And it was, you know, the early 90s. So I got to travel the world and see all of their operations, not only their operations from an airport perspective, it was also auditing Saber, you know, the mind of American, the spin-off, we spawned it up, also doing co-sharing agreements, uh, which needed due diligence work, and, you know, just traveling and really understanding accounting across the world, because the same rules don't apply everywhere. Yeah. Oh, wow. Fascinating. So you're, you're living the dream, you get to travel and you're doing the profession that you thought you were uh, loving or you were loving it at the time anyway. Right. And it sounds like it was different enough. It wasn't going back to the same client again, like what was happening if he just stayed at E and Y. Right. Right. Yeah. So it fed that, uh, that little risk taker in you, it sounds like. <laughs> So, so learned a lot um, during that time. And I did that for two years as well. And then I decided I wanted to see how could I grow, you know, in business a little bit more. So I went and did my MBA. Ah, okay. So now when you were traveling the world, were you, um, were you living in different cities for big stints of time or were you kind of still home-based at one place and then just traveling to, to different countries? So American Airlines headquarters are in Dallas, Fort Worth. So my apartment and car, which had maybe 400 miles away the whole time I was there, um, was in Dallas. Uh, but I did travel the world. I would spend two to three weeks. Um, and that was depending on the engagement um, in different, you know, airports. If it was an airport, it was faster. If it was diligence um, engagement, it was a little bit longer. And sometimes we did part of the work um, in phases. So we would go back um, yeah. after a few weeks at a 
like in Argentina, we did the uh, Aerolíneas Argentinas um, due diligence work through the co-sharing agreement. So we went up confirmed to, to Buenos Aires. Oh. Okay, so um, you said you, you decided to go get your MBA. Did you decide to um, do that part-time while you still worked or did you decide to do that full-time? Well, because my work with American was international, I decided just to go full-time. Um, and I quit American Airlines at the time and went full-time on my MBA. Yeah, that would have been hard. I don't know how you do that because, well, a lot of programs now have so many remote opportunities. You could probably do it remote, but um, yeah, if you're traveling international, it would be on so many different time zones and probably not work. Right. So, so where did you decide to go? So um, at the time I was living in Texas and I really wanted to get into the Macombs uh, Business School at um, University of Texas. So I got accepted. So I, that's where I went. I did apply to SMU and others um, in Texas, um, but that was the one I wanted to go. Ah, so the, the number one choice and you got in, so you decide to get your MBA and then what did that open doors to? So that was a great step for me. So the MBA, I, I was able to see business from a different perspective. So it was about more problem solving and leadership in terms of where I was. Um, so in terms of doors, um, it got me to Procter & Gamble. Um, I was able to um, get an internship in the year that I spent um, in between, in that summer in between um, my MBA. And I was the um, Tampax um, assistant brand manager at the time. And uh, I loved it. I loved it because I was able to use my analytical background to then try tying it to strategies um, for business. I saw that transition really easy, easy and clear. It was very easy and clear for me um, on how the company thought and how I could lead by doing that at Procter & Gamble, how I can contribute. So I, I saw a very clear correlation on how to do that early on there. Yeah. Well, then that's just so great. So I'm guessing you're still pretty young at this point. Are you still in your 20s when you're kind of having these recognitions? Yes, I was um, around 25. Yeah. So that's pretty young to be kind of figuring out how your skill set is tying to what the different roles are in business and in the companies. That's, that's pretty amazing. I got to tell you, I I don't know that I understood all of those components at a um, at a skill set level as much as I just thought of things were just who I was. Does that I don't know? I, you know, I, I never really kind of separated that until I got older and was able to differentiate. You know, different skill sets, different personality types for different types of roles. But it sounds like pretty young. You were able to pull that apart and see that. Did the MBA help you with that? Absolutely. The MBA helped me a lot about like really understanding people, um, archetypes, um, that's how they call them. And also um, really defining my skills and what was transferable. Oh, yeah. yeah, that's the right word there. Those transferable skills and how they can cross from being on the audit side 
over into more of the brand side. But I think also, you know, we, and this is where we started when you explained what you were, did as a marketing executive, so much of it is, you know, data-driven, information-driven research. Uh, it isn't just the creative side. And I tend, I, I think a lot of people hear the word marketing and they go to the creative and not necessarily to the product, the research, and like you said, solving problems which really is that more analytical side and the audit side that you came from. So totally get it. So you came in from that perspective. Then it was the MBA that really kind of opened, uh, opened your mindset, would you say about that? Absolutely, because then you had a, I had um, the opportunities to explore new companies and to explore new roles. The university I went to UC, they had a great, counselor and career service um, kind of branch that served, uh, you know, the, the executives in the MBA program. And they were so good about helping each individual to figure out what their skills were. Uh, they not only gave us tests, right, initially, you know, to figure out if you were like extrovert. At that time, I was an extrovert. Um, <laughs> uh, and, and to know, um, who you were as a person and contributor, but also to understand your skills and where they could take you. Wow, that's very cool. So the good news here is it sounds like you had help to help you figure that out. Uh, I'm, I'm working, or I shouldn't say working, I've been talking with a friend of mine who's a little bit stuck and I get the impression he feels like he should just know all this. And I'm coming from a perspective of, we got to figure it out. Let's talk through this, right? What are your strengths? Let's kind of go down the strength path before we go down to what are you looking for path? Um, you know, because a lot of times you don't, you take for granted what your strengths are. And, and, you know, once you figure those out, you can figure out how they're transferable into what you want. But um, it does take help a lot of times. It takes, I think, personality tests, skills tests, data points on what worked in the past, but also outside perspectives a lot of times. So it sounds like you had a lot of that going for you. I did. I have been blessed um, that through my time, um, I've had really good um, mentors. And I've had really good um, also uh, bosses as well. I mean, I've, I've had the bad boss as well, <laughs> let's be clear. But I've had really good ones as well that I have kept in touch with. And they have become mentors as well. So yeah. what I was saying is that I, I have also done the same things for others as well, you know, through my time where I have been able to grow and see those connections as well. Um, I have also been able to mentor others. So, so that feels great. Yeah. Well, it is great that when you've had good experiences and been mentored, then you do want to give that back, right? You're like, wow, I totally get, I wouldn't be where I am if I didn't have that help and that insight or that feedback or that, criticism or that slap in the uh, in the head that that one point that I was not uh, listening or whatever the thing might be so well Sarah tell me a little bit you know if you're in your mid-20s and you've already been doing all of these auditing roles got your MBA talk a little bit about your kind of your confidence you know as being the oldest you already kind of touched on you didn't seem like you were afraid of much but you were probably the youngest person in the room a lot of times how did you kind of manage that and feeling like you were confident enough that you should be there? That is a great question. And, you know, 
going back, sometimes I think I felt like I shouldn't be there because sometimes I was the only woman in the room as well as being the youngest one. Um, but it's, it's really about knowing your value and knowing uh, being certain of that value that you have. And that is something that I did not learn right away, but I learned through my whole lifetime is um, that I've always gone back and understood what my strengths were, where I could add value and be certain of that value that you can provide. Um, I've always had people around me also that have encouraged me, as I mentioned before. So that is also helpful, you know, as you're growing and getting into, you know, more difficult roles and positions. Um, yeah. So really knowing that value. Yeah. That's a, a great topic and one I think I want to spend a, just a little bit more time on because I would say I was not someone who knew that. Um, and so I waited to be asked a lot of times. Uh, there were certain areas I was pretty confident in, but then there were certain areas I wasn't. So as a leader, I guess that's one thing I do encourage other leaders is sometimes you got to make sure you're asking all the people in the room, not just those who are the most expressive or most vocal or most sure of themselves. You've got to find a way to ask those others because sometimes it just needs one question to that person and they're willing to, to share, but they weren't going to offer it because they either felt like they didn't know their value or it had already been said, or surely they don't want to hear from me or who am I? I mean, there's all kinds of things going through people's heads, but it uh, sounds like you had some of that confidence, but also good encouragement Plus, you had some great insight by the MBA program and some great experience at that point. So I think that I had confidence um, because you've got to have confidence when, you know, you're in the 90s. You know, it was the 90s when I was um, in a room with, you know, men and, you know, traveling, um, you know, to remote locations sometimes in countries that you know, sometimes don't speak your language. I am bilingual, but I was not always going to like South America. I went to Japan, I went to China, I went to so many places, right? So um, yes, it, it, it's about really having um, time to, to understand what your strengths are and to always having time to think through those. Um, and it's, it has to be sometimes a daily, a daily um, ritual or something that you do on a daily basis to remind you of who you are. Because sometimes we get so busy with everything that we do that we are trying to serve so much and we don't invest in ourselves. So every day, you know, and I now have it as a ritual. I was not as consistent when I was younger, right? Because we were just learning, you know, that that was important. <laughs> um, but when I discovered that 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 was important, that investing in yourself is important on a daily basis, I started doing it. Yeah. So what can I ask what your rituals are now? Yes. So I, I, can, I can share that with you. Um, so every day I, I um, get up and I, I have a 
a, um, a journal where I write everything that I am grateful for. And I write um, a list of things that I'm grateful for every day. I think gratefulness um, um, makes your heart open to possibilities and to positivism, right? So if you're grateful, you were opening up your heart to hope and to many other things. Um, so that's the first thing I do. I also go through and, and think, what, what am I gonna do this week that is going to make me better? So I commit to being better um, on something, X, Y, or Z, <laughs> for that week. Um, and then I practice something different that week. If you're a leader and you keep doing that, you're gonna realize that you're getting much better by practicing something different or by practicing something that you wanna get good at um, every week. Yeah, yeah, I love both of those. You know, I do a gratitude journal and I, I tend to do my journaling in the evening. Um, I had, maybe I need to just mix it up and start it in the morning. Cause I do think it would set the tone differently for the day. Um, I kind of started a, a more intentional, uh, setting intention setting at the end of last year. Now that I realized I kind of got out of the, uh, out of my habit, out of my ritual and, uh, it was really more powerful, but, um, it is, it's great. I, I what I loved when you said that the gratitude, I, I, I wish I'd have had that when I was younger. Um, and I'm hoping this might, you know, maybe resonate with some listeners who are already younger to appreciate and be grateful for what you have today. Because I remember at the time I was always thinking about what was next, what was next and how do I prove myself? And I didn't really take, and I, and I think I took for granted where I already was instead of being grateful for where I was and appreciating and acknowledging what I had accomplished and what I had done and who I was being and how I had done those things that probably would have given me more confidence in just being me. Um, but I was always trying, you know, you're kind of in that, I don't know, they, they call it the hamster wheel um, aspect, you know, and it's and you, and you, so you're always thinking more and more and more versus being grateful for what you have and where you are and what you've done to get there. The other area that I want to add is when you're grateful for the things that are, have happened recently, you also think the things that you have contributed to recently, right? So you're acknowledging wins as well, um, you know, and that makes, it's, we don't celebrate wins um, enough where we internalize them as a human being. You know, we just go past them and keep going, right? Um, in like regular life, we just, we just put it back. Oh yeah, that was pretty good. Let's go to the next one. And then it's not internalized. So it doesn't really come through as a strength then. And you know, you gotta have the time to meditate on that when and what made it good and how did you do it? What was good about it? And how can you do it again, right? Yeah, yeah, and believe it and feel it and own it. Uh, you know, it's one of the reasons that I started this business that I'm in, this life story curator about how do we capture and celebrate, you know, a career or life stories? Um, because we don't take that time to pause. You know, you think about it, one of the last times you paused was, you know, at graduations, either college, high school, 
grad school, whatever, right? And then they have the big keynote speaker and the, they're inspirational and all that. And then after that, there's not much, right? It's then you, you get the job, you start going through things, maybe at a wedding ceremony, but yeah, until you really, you, you've got to have those times to pause and really, and really think back. And, and so the gratitude journal does it. And I find when I'm doing the gratitude journal, it's not just what I'm grateful for. I find I'm so grateful for what, what I see in other people and how we're interacting and maybe something that I know was a big success for them that they either overcame or um, experienced for the first time or, or, or got to see. So yeah, it's pretty powerful. So I'm glad you brought that up because it, you know, that was what I remember driving away from my corporate role after 20 years thinking, you know, what do I have to show for this 20 year career? And I was always the one, I was kind of the glue in the group that made sure there was a a going away and a happy hour. And it wasn't just getting together. It was also, let's talk about what this person brought. And we'd always try to do something fun to talk about, you know, how they were, who they were on the team, what their skill sets were, what their strengths were. And so here I'm driving away, leaving, going, well, where's, where's my Kathy? Where's my person to, <laughs> to help, you know, send me off with the, and, uh, you know, it, it did kind of come later, but, you know, I had outlived kind of some of my my great teammates who had already moved on and I was kind of the last one to leave. So it was, it was, you know, it wasn't easy for them to figure that out, but, yep. but anyway, yeah, it was really hard to drive, drive away with, you know, well, what do I have to show for this? I had to really find that myself. Others can't do it for you. Correct. And, and now that you mentioned that, I, I want to add um, great leaders celebrate and take time to celebrate with their um, teams, you know, what they have achieved, um, and, you know, at Procter & Gamble learned that to, to do that periodically um, so that the team would be engaged, would celebrate their wins, and would build upon that foundation. And, and that was one of the greatest gifts I, I got from Procter & Gamble and learned to keep doing as a leader um, afterwards. It's, it was a great school, believe me. Yeah. Yeah, I was, uh, when I was in corporate, I led a lot of um, cross-functional initiatives. And so I was, you know, these people didn't report to me, but they would come onto the project or the program for their function. And then they would come on and off and on and off. So I always made sure at the end to have that celebration to say, you know, here's what we did. You know, we just onboarded this, you know, this company, um, you know, with merged with them. And here's how each, you know, kind of group and each person then contributed because, you know, they were already on to that next thing. They were part of the beginning and then now we're at the end. So they at least got to see how it all came together and it did make a difference. And I, I know I wanted to do that for my own self, but also for all of them to keep saying, wow, you know, it's because of all of you that we did this. So very cool. Okay. So you were at, uh, you got your first brand experience at the internship. I'm sorry, we got a lot to get through here. So you got through the MBA. You were at, um, I think you're a proctor. Was was that your first um, internship? So, um, wow, I, I did a lot for them. Um, I managed their um, several brands as assistant brand manager. Then I grew you know, to be a senior brand manager and brand director. Um, and, um, you know, I, I did North America Oral Care, I launched Crestro Health Face and the Rinse, um, launched uh, before that actually Crest Whitening Plus Scope, which is um, in the market still. I have a patent on um, 
basically the flaws. I um, patented the uh, the flaws pick. Wow! Um, congratulations. Then <laughs> um, I, I, I moved and did you know um, the flaws business uh, globally. Um, I also uh, worked as part of the team that also integrated um, Oral-B as it came into Procter & Gamble uh, as an acquisition because it, it was part of Gillette at the time, and that was um, in the early 2000s. And, and Procter uh, is so big. Yeah, and then I took on a role that um, I, I did all of Oral-B toothbrushes globally. Um, I had... Um, Basically, Asia, Western Europe. Um, my my development team was in Kronberg, Germany, and the manufacturing plant um, was in Mecklenburg. It's still there, actually, in Germany. And um, and yeah, it was an amazing time uh, to be part of ENG. Yeah, and uh, I as part of that, we launched uh, Dentist Clean Feeling, which was a campaign that was on for a good amount of time in, in the 2000s. And, um, and then I also did the Olay brand. I moved on for there and did the Olay brand and worked that globally as well and launched it in China uh, for body care. And um, that was also a great, great experience and a great team. And then uh, because of family situations, you know, when you have a dual career, um, you know, you have always to negotiate and figure out, you know, what to do with your husband and yourself and what is next. So uh, we moved to Columbus for an opportunity for my husband um, to lead the Wendy's brand. So I um, took an opportunity with Abbott to lead the Similac, Pediasure, and Pedialyte, and, and no, the Similac, Pediasure, and um, later on, introduced um, a toddler brand into Similac, which was uh, Go and Grow uh, by Similac. I, I did the launch of that brand uh, in 2015. And, um, and then I moved on to do my own thing. I had the, uh, basically the, the itch to do my own brand, and I did. I launched a probiotic brand called Active Change in 2015, and I managed all of their e-commerce, um, put it on BTC. It was BTC, uh, Amazon, all of that, and also um, became part of the launch team of um, Halo Smile, which was another small brand and worked in the BTC model for that brand. and. Um, launched it in, you know, Asia and also in the States. Um, and uh, from there, I moved to Colorado again because um, we had to figure out the dual career thing. And, you know, we moved for him this time as, as well here. Um, so I am in Fort Collins, but as part of that, I got the opportunity to, to lead the Harris team as I you know, work also here in Boulder with some of the brands as well at the beginning. So, so that is kind of in a nutshell, all of the years comprised in five minutes, but um, yeah, I, I went up the ladder in terms of, you know, the different roles, uh, the different experiences I took on 
you know, market strategy and planning roles with customers, Walmart, Target, all of that, all the way to global roles um, in, in my career. So I, I just love to figure out, you know, problems, challenges, and, you know, get a brand growing and figure out their business model and where's the growth uh, with the consumer. And, and that's my passion. Wow. Well, I, I know you went through that pretty fast and I have a bunch of questions, but we are at the point where we have to start wrapping up or else we'll just keep going all afternoon, which I could, by the way, because your story is so fascinating and you've done so much. Plus, I love that you're in, you're in a space where every brand that you talk about, people know, right? And it's interesting. So that's why it's also easy to kind of uh, relate to you and to understand what you've been doing. So, but we do need to start wrapping up. So uh, Sarah, if you would, I've, I've got a couple wrap-up questions. If you would tell us, um, what do you think served you best when you look back on your career? You know, it can be a strength, a personality trait, or maybe a discipline or a habit. Uh, what do you think served you best? Perseverance <laughs> helped me a lot um, because um, many times I, I like to go beyond the obvious to find solutions, you know, to find the right fit. Um, in a brand. And sometimes um, what I have realized is that um, the first diagnosis of a problem or analysis is it's right, but it's not the end. It is the beginning of really understanding everything we need to do and all the questions we need to ask to then make that strategy work well the strategy that we eventually come up with, <laughs> right? Um, oh, I love that. You're right. It's kind of, you get to that first level of digging, that first why, and then it's like, wait a minute, there's probably more. So your perseverance is, well, let's keep going and see what else is revealed, right? Keep asking questions. Um, That's yeah. the auditor in you. <laughs> <laughs> Be curious. Keep asking questions because that's key. Um, again, I would have been misled in, in many of the instances in my career where I got an analysis and, you know, the finding, the top line finding, I would have just gone with it. Um, yeah. So do you think it is your auditor background that helps you realize you needed to keep peeling it back or what, how did you know that? It, it is my auditor background, I think, my auditor training that initially kept me going now it's just um it's just the way I do things right yeah. <laughs> it's just the way I look at problems and at brands and at answers right and solutions yeah I would imagine sometimes you drive your team crazy because they would be like but we figured it out and you'd be like no maybe we didn't figure it out well you know I think it's about asking questions I don't I never tell anyone that they're wrong it's about asking more questions and figuring out, okay, so you've gone this far, but have you thought about this? Have you thought about this other thing? Have you asked this other question? It's about training the team to dig themselves and find the answers for themselves. Because if you don't do that, then you're not serving them. Yeah, yeah. You're right. It is about asking the right questions. And, and I guess Rick, recognizing well, when am I done? When am I done asking questions? When is, when are we really at the, 
the appropriate strategy or what. And some of that is you have to test it and keep testing it and seeing if you're right. Um, or if it's working or if it's being getting the right responses that you're looking for, I guess there's, yeah, there's, yeah. there's no secret playbook to, to know, well, I've asked five questions. Now I'm done. <laughs> no, no. And, and sometimes you think you're done, but, you, but if you like craft a strategy and um, a concept, let's say, which is what I call it, um, a concept with these um, areas that you test with consumers, then you learn more and then you dig deeper because you ask the consumer to get to help you get there. Right? Yeah. yeah. It's a combination of many areas where you can, you know, get, get the right strategy and the right, um, the right, you know, kind of creative to move forward. Yeah. Okay. All righty. Well, one last question then is, uh, any words of wisdom that impacted you throughout your career that really kind of, you know, gave you an aha moment or helped you when you were in transition or feeling stuck, or maybe that you use when you are working and helping with other people? Well, I think my biggest words of wisdom is that when you're in transition or if you're stuck, don't look inside um, only because you always have to do inner work, right? But but look towards mentors. Um, ask and test what that next step might be with your mentors and with people that surround you, that encourage you. That is, that is my words of wisdom. It's, you know, we're not in, a, in an island. Um, there's so much knowledge. If you don't recognize that there is so much knowledge outside of you that others hold, um, then you're disturbing yourself and negating you oppor yourself opportunities that may come and doors that may open. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I, uh, as I've done a lot of internal work and stuff, you're, you're right, you can't see your core competencies a lot of time. And what's something you're really good at, you just think everyone's good at that, or you don't even know that's a thing, right? Like I didn't know that my arranger skill was a thing until I did the Strengths Finder tool. And then I had a coach point out to me how that works with my books and how I can arrange such complex information into something or the matrixes that I made at work around problems and things like that. So you, you don't know, but it is about testing other people and it's amazing what they can reflect back to you um, that they know about you that you don't know. It's fascinating. So yeah, great words of wisdom there. Yeah, and make sure you surround yourself with people that are smarter than you. Ah. <laughs> Oh, always, always. Well, Sarah, thank you so much for sharing your story today and your words of wisdom and your insight. Um, and uh, I guess we do have to wrap up though. So I will say, listeners, if you enjoyed today's interview, please subscribe below so you'll be alerted when other interviews are published. And if you have any questions for me or for Sarah, I'll publish this interview on my website, lifestorycurator.com. So you can post comments there and questions and also post any social media that you'd like me to, to share about you, Sarah. And I guess on that note, I'll just stay, 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 stay safe, stay well, and let's keep sharing those stories. Have a great day.